listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Welcome. It's my show. Uh, very excited to have you guys here. Let me turn down the music. I'm doing all this live as usual. I'm trying to cut down on my post-production time. Um, thank you for showing up. All you newcomers that have just shown up, started listening to the podcast. There's a bunch of you out there. Because uh, I've been looking at our numbers. Our numbers have been consistently high over the past two weeks. So either I'm doing something right or someone's doing a good job promoting us. Uh, so hello and welcome. You're lucky. Today's episode is going to be a great one. It's been a while since I've had an actor on the show. It's been a while since I've talked about the art of performing in front of a camera, the art of performing on a stage. Uh, and uh, get ready because we're going to get into it with a great guest today. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to give a big shout out to uh, Liam, my buddy Liam, who uh, has been a associate producer on the show in the past. Um, Liam is killing it right now. He is in uh, back in the East Coast. I think he's in New York. Uh, and I think I'm allowed to say this. Uh, he's actually working for SNL, which is pretty awesome. You know, if you've been listening to the shows with him in the past and uh, he's talked about how it was always a dream of his to end up on the set of Saturday Night Live, end up working for that team. And uh, last we talked, he was about to start that gig. 
Big congrats, Liam. And I know next week is your birthday. It's a big shout out. Happy birthday to you, buddy. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done for the show and continue to do for the show. Um, and uh, I just want to say that on the show. Anyway, uh, big thanks to everybody who has been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast Instagram at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D. Uh, lately, you have seen a bunch of my posts. If you are following, you've been seeing a bunch of my posts on the new project. The news is out. Uh, my latest project is uh, being teased this week. We just released the teaser. Uh, I got to collaborate with the amazing Christina P. Christina Przinsky, who, uh, as you know, is the co-host of the amazing Your Mom's House podcast. She is a comedian uh, and has been a touring comedian for years. Got to work with her and Krayshawn. So I teamed up with Krayshawn as well. Uh, and together we all created a comedy video around a song that they recorded together called the mom song and it was a, a pretty crazy project for me you know it's been a while since i've jumped back into that music video landscape um but then uh you know to do a song about being a mom which was a lot of fun i got to like dig back into my history as a, as like the oldest of four and helping my mom raise kids and and understanding like what a tough job it is to be a mom and uh, how intense it is to be a stay-at-home mom. Fucking relentless job, that is. You know, you, you never have time off. You're busting your ass and you're at it for about 19 years, 18, 19 years, and then they leave and they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> um, but I had so much fun. Uh, we ended up uh, booking this great place in Los Angeles uh, got this whole house put together and uh, worked with the two of them, ran Christina through the paces. She was like, I want this to feel like a real shoot. And I'm like, okay, cool. You've hired a real team. Uh, get ready. Let's do, let's, let's settle in. Let's do a good solid eight to 10 hours of uh, music video work, which is relentless, you know, going from like one setup to the next. And every setup is incredibly important uh, because you don't want it to get boring. And if you're doing it right. You're trying to reveal things throughout the video. You're trying to build peaks and valleys uh, in the music video itself. And so it just takes time to capture all that stuff. So uh, I'm very excited about it. They just released last week on YMH. Uh, Christina talks about it. They released the teaser. I played the teaser on the show and I have been posting all that stuff on my Instagram. So if you want to check it out, like I said, head on over to Mike Petchy on Instagram. And uh, let me know what you think. Hopefully the video, I don't know when the actual video is going to drop. I, I don't know if it's the same week that this show comes out or slightly after. I'll be posting all that news up on the Instagram. So big, exciting, exciting week. It's nice to, to get back on set as a director and as a shooter because I also shot it. It's been a while since I acted as a cinematographer and a director at the same time. And I ended up teaming up with uh, our sponsors on the show, Black Magic, got my hands on that uh, Cinema Pro 6K, I think is what it is. Um, great camera. Had to do the upgrade because prior to this, it's been so long since I've shot something um, that I still had old DSLRs and stuff. And so I had to make this upgrade and uh, got my hands on this new Black Magic camera. And it was awesome. I'll get more into it in the sponsor reads. But, uh, 
Uh, the, the, I think the stuff looks gorgeous. It was a lot of fun to shoot and direct at the same time. And I had a solid crew around me. Uh, Gina came on. She was creative directing it and uh, also helping with uh, props. And uh, had the whole team. Lance was on. Uh, my buddy Brett, Brett McCabe, you've heard of him on the show. He was on. He did some assistant directing. Um, April, May hair makeup team, Janet, wardrobe, great team working on this piece. So we're very excited, very proud about it. Um, and uh, like I said, stand by for more information as it releases. Uh, but today's episode, let's get into what we're talking about today. Super excited to have our guest on. Uh, he's a gentleman that I met uh, soon after we moved out here and uh, met him through one of our other guests, uh, my buddy Rick Darge, who's been on the show, uh, went on to Rick's podcast after he did our show. I went on to his podcast, Bumper to Bumper, and uh, hung out with him and his co-host, uh, Chris Candy. And uh, on that show, I didn't actually get to meet Chris because the gimmick of their show at the time was uh, Rick would drive around in a car and then Chris would drive around separately. They'd both be stuck in traffic at different points of Los Angeles and they would do this podcast remotely between the two vehicles. And I jumped in with Chris, uh, with Rick. And so I never, I, I didn't get to meet Chris. I only heard his voice on that show. It was a really funny, funny episode of their podcast. I'll put the link below in the episode. Um, but then after that, I ended up seeing uh, Chris do some improv at a show. And then we just sort of crossed paths and started to hang out. Um, and he's a great dude, uh, very talented actor, really funny guy, very warm and welcoming. Um, he's just one of those people that you want to have around. Uh, he's honestly one of those people that you want to have in something you do on your sets because he just has like very positive, very solid energy. And if you watch him on screen, he's very honest. And he has sort of this beautiful, frail humor, which I really love. Um, so he's great. He's on the show today, and I'm very excited because he's coming here. He's coming to the house. Uh, and uh, it's been a while since I've done like one-on-one -on -one conversations and not over the internet, uh, which is always like a slight adjustment. It's like, oh, okay, all right. So I'm not like staring at my soundboard while I do this. Let's get back into it. Let's get into the space. Let's do what we wanted to do with the show from the beginning. Getting people in the same space, having conversations, and bringing you guys in. Letting you guys sit on the couch with us and get into it. And that's what we do today. Uh, we talk about uh, Chris's uh, years of experience as an actor. Uh, we talk about his his time briefly. Or we briefly talk about his time as uh, improv, with improv, and he's been in bands, uh, he's toured all over the place, he's had such a crazy life um, up to this point, and it's awesome. Yes, listen to the helicopter. Our professional recording studio out here in Los Angeles, California. Um, it's really awesome to see him uh, on screen and working in pieces. He's done a lot of stuff during the pandemic. Uh, and I was just laughing my ass at it, laughing my ass off at it. Today, I just watched this morning, and I can't believe I hadn't seen it before, but him and Rick, Rick directed a piece that uh, he wrote and, star and starred in called uh, Chowchella, and it's fucking great. 
I'm going to have the link below the, in the episode. Uh, they screened at Rain Dance. It's fantastic. Love that piece. Um, and uh, I'll give you a bit of hi- history uh, behind Chris. Uh, Chris uh, is trained. Uh, he trained at Groundlings, Second City, Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in a Funnier Die series called uh, Mystic Cosmic Patrol. Um, and then he's done a bunch of shorts with uh, Rick Dars together. Um, I'll have everything below. Uh, and yes, Chris Candy is the son of John Candy, which I think is very important to point out. Um, you know, I grew up uh, like like all of us grew up loving John Candy movies, loving his films. Um, and uh, when he ended up passing, it was like like an uncle died. And I know that uh, many of us all felt the same way. And he was such a shiny, bright star uh, in some of my favorite films from my youth. Uh, You know, you talk about his cameo in Home Alone, for Christ's sakes. You talk about, you know, great outdoors, planes, trains, and automobiles, all this really interesting stuff. Um, But I, I always feel weird about bringing that stuff up when I have um, actors on the show or people on the show that had parents that were famous because you don't want it to be about them. You don't want the show to be about, you know, John Candy. This show is about Chris. Um, But you'll see Chris talks about it. He actually brings it up. And I think it's done really well in the show. And uh, we go into uh, a bit of what it was like growing up in the Candy family. And then also talk a bit about the people that he got to meet, the amazing folks that he got to see, because he still remembers being on all these sets. Uh, I think he was eight when his father passed. And talk about being too young. Um, but it, we also talk a bunch about John Hughes and some really great stuff, stories about John Hughes. Um, he's very gracious, very gracious guest. Uh, I'm happy to call him a buddy. And uh, so strap yourselves in and get ready for a deep conversation with the amazing Chris Candy. Hey, Chris. How are you, buddy? Hey, Mike. How are you? Isn't that such a great intro? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my phone's buzzing. Um, Hey, thanks for having me on your podcast. I can't believe it's been this long. It's taken this long to have you on the show. I wasn't counting down the days at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to move a bunch of people to get you on. (laughs) That's not what I want to hear. (laughs) No, no, no. I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, thanks. It, it's it's nice. I've known you for like, I guess we met through Rick, yes. right? Rick Darge. And then I was on your show. So yeah, you were you were on Bumper to Bumper. You know, it's funny. You totally were on Bumper to Bumper, and I 
forget about that like very beginning chapter of bumper to bumper which for people listening was and still is my podcast mm-hmm. um but there was a you know the early part of that podcast was doing it in a car and the whole point of it was that i was in so much traffic in la that i would call my friend rick and have these like long conversations with him and i'm like we should just do a fucking podcast because we're wasting so much goddamn <laughs> life in these cars so it turned into that and we got some awesome interviews at you being one of them and then the pandemic started and then our podcast just melted into this like improv stupid comedy show which is great too but it's just so far from what it once was it was like it's it, it was like a, a legitimate serious interview podcast <laughs> yeah. well as legitimate and serious as it was i remember uh the episode that i did with you guys because i had just known rick yeah how'd you meet rick for a few months not even a few months like a month and i met him because gina went and saw what did you go you went and saw like a i remember this the, at the Vista, at the yeah. Vista, it was um, like the like the Gothic Tiki comedy show or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she saw him, and I didn't end up going out that night. And she came home and woke me up and was like, "You have to watch these shorts." Right, right. Yeah, and I was like, "This guy's pretty funny." And she's like, "Yeah." And so I called. I, I just reached out to him. I'm like, "You want to come on the show?" Because I had just started up doing the show here in Los Angeles, and he was like, "Right, right." And he's like, "Yeah, fuck it." And so he came over, and we had a blast on the show. And he's like, "You know, come on our show." And then. <laughs> I come on, uh, and I don't even get to meet you because no. you're in another car. <laughs> you're in a separate car. I think I, I remember that day, too, because um, he kept on talking about you. He's like, yeah, this guy, Mike Pesci, Mike Pesci, Mike Pesci, Mike Pesci. That's nice. He's, he's talking you up, and I'm going, all right, cool. You know, And uh, you come on the show, and I don't even get to see you, and I'm just hearing this voice. <laughs> and I remember on that podcast specifically, at the time when we were doing it, like Rick was in his car, and I'm in my car. And at that point, we weren't sitting in traffic we just had scheduled to do the pod whenever we could do it Mm -hmm. and you guys had all these snacks and (laughs) food and i was like i think i remember like being like like needing coffee or something like that (laughs) just like felt like (laughs) totally left out uh yeah yeah i I tried to freak i tried to freak uh rick out because i showed up with uh what he thought was beer. So I'm like, oh, yeah. You're driving around. Driving around. So like, you want a beer? And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's root beer. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Rick is a good friend of mine. Um, I've known him for years. Uh, and uh, he's a really talented director to people listening to the pod. Um, but yeah, he, he would do music videos for my old band, Choto Ghetto. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we met in napa valley for a film festival and and then um he was starting an improv team so i hopped on with that and we really became good friends in those improv years and um we would yeah he's a super funny guy so i'm just like you both are i think that uh like for those of you listening you should go over and check out bumper to bumper because the new stuff is really great thanks i caught up on it like yesterday actually because i was sitting around going like i should probably listen to the podcast and Literally, even this morning when I was riding, I ride where where you run. So we both yeah. the same spot. Were you there this morning? Mm-hmm. So was I. Uh, you know who I saw this morning, who I continuously see this morning, is Kevin Smith. He walks that thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He gave me a wave today. He looks a little grumpy. <laughs> I was like, I thought you're supposed to be the happy guy. You're very grumpy. <laughs> Far from it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, there's some fun people. Um, it's like a very, it's a little known secret in L.A., um, but yeah, there is a, 
a lake underneath the Hollywood sign, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And you can go walk around it and run around it. And yeah, I always bump into you up there riding your bike. Yeah. No, I, I got into the bike riding thing uh, during the pandemic because, you know, Gina was like, let's buy some bikes. I'm like, why would I, why would I want to buy a bike? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily I did, you know, because you don't want to push it like 43 now. So I, I still drink like I'm 25. And <laughs> so it's good for me to get on the bike and get my blood pumping. So yeah, no, it's definitely... And that place is so serene. And, and uh, when I'm, um, it was hot as fuck today, though. Yes. Yeah, we're in the like, uh, in LA here, we're going into our fall season, which means it's going to be 82. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like there's always this last ditch effort for the weather to sort of punch you in the face. Because last week it wasn't that bad. No, it's, it was, yeah, 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 yeah. And as we're sort of kicking into the back end of this, it's like, okay, here's a hundred and fucking one. Yeah. Like, God damn it. <laughs> Can it be fall? Can it be the end of this? It, it It's like so subtle. I'm sure like I, I grew up in LA and... um and uh, it's it's like such a subtle change. Like the air will be a little crisper. We got the Santa Anas. They started up last night. Isn't this just such interesting content for all the people listening? They're going, shut the fuck up, Chris. <laughs> no, this is great. This is what the show is. Fuck those people. Anybody listening to the show is not about them. The show's about us hanging out. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, back to the Santa Anas. They come in uh, from the Southwest and they kick up a bunch of dry debris. Very, very bad for fires. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, before you know it, it's Christmas. <laughs> we enjoy it because uh, we haven't gone home to the East Coast now. Right. In three years, just about three years. So we've been doing a very small Christmas here and I love it. Oh, the holidays in LA are awesome because a lot of people do end up going home and so you kind of get your city back yeah and you can just kind of get around really quickly it, it it was actually when we were in the middle in the beginning of the pandemic and like for the first four months it felt like that it feels like that on christmas basically where like the roads are just empty and you kind of get wherever you want and it is really nice <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> yeah we started a tradition where we go uh out bar hopping what not christmas eve the night before christmas eve oh that sounds fun which is if you're around we should do that yeah it's a lot of fun because the places are pretty much empty yeah yeah and you have your run of whatever you want and then uh we do like a christmas eve thing i do like seven fishes italian thing yeah and then uh you know christmas day we uh light up the fireplace and shit it's pretty fucking awesome dude oh man that's awesome yeah i really dig it it's not worth like getting a one thousand dollar plane ticket to fly home and have a meal with a family. Well, that's the thing I've noticed too. I think like all over the world, a lot of people are experiencing that. Like that—that that is one of the things I noticed with right now is like uh, first, a lot of people haven't seen or gone back home in like two to three years. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was that one year and they were going to go back and then they did it because of all of this. But like low key, everyone has to remember like everyone walking around right now is like super pissed about something you know it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. like this has not been easy on anybody no you know if it, and it's like everybody's fucking pissed somewhere inside of them yeah yeah and and, and we're all percolating yeah it's <laughs> this weird sort of post-depression kind of thing and we're all sort of you know, whether, think about it. Yeah, yeah. it's it, like it, it, it was that whole I, the pandemic sucked, but it was also really good for reflection and like, of course, good to chill. And now we're at the back end and I just I feel like it's the end of winter vacation and you're going back to fucking school again. And you're like, yeah, here comes all that anxiety again. And here comes the fucking game. And I think a lot of folks that I know are, are sort of 
confronting that too, where it's like, I, I kind of liked being chill for as long as we were. Yeah. Yeah. You had those moments. I definitely did in the pandemic, um, where I would be like, no, this is just how I'm going to live my life from now on. <laughs> yeah. I've just been doing too much, you know, it's like, what the fuck? And <laughs> it's so insane how we can quickly go back to that fucking rat race. Yeah. <laughs> like we're like, all right, gotta get up, gotta go to this, gotta get a copy, get a bit, 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 and you know, um, you're back in the mix. And it it's really it, it speaks to the uh, resilience and the stupidity of all of us. We oh we could change and go back to things really quickly. Yeah, yeah. We so can flighty. Told to stay in, and then we could be told to go. You know, do whatever. <laughs> but I've just noticed that it's just there. There is that like low level. Um, tension with everybody and you kind of feel it, you know, mm-hmm. you just like, you'll be at the, um, I was at like the, like if someone got a parking ticket right now, it's pretty dangerous. It was dangerous before, but right now it's like, <laughs> yes. might, stab, yeah. stab, stab. Well, you'll go on an airplane and, and like, I've been, I've flown like a couple of times and, and, um, like each time there's like a confrontation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The anxiety is so fucking high on everybody. Yeah, and it's like it's like you know, but it's it's interesting because it's like it it kind of is like a sense of like what I think society really is like ninety nine percent of the people are like all right, cool, we're down. Like, mm-hmm. what's the good thing to do? All mm-hmm. right, mask, flight, whatever. <laughs> There's like one person. <laughs> it's just like fuck you. This one flight I was on. This this kid. I we were my girlfriend and I were getting back to our seats. And um, this kid was like yelling at this older man and the older man was going, someone needs to teach you some manners. And the kid was like, fuck you, fuck you. Like, like that tone. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And um, it was because the kid wasn't wearing a mask. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and the, then you see like the mom come up and she starts yelling at the old man. And then her mom comes and, tries to like mediate the whole thing uh-huh. and the flight attendant comes by and says all of you are kicked off the fucking flight <laughs> and so it's like it, it's like every flight there's i don't know maybe I, but I've, I've been on enough flights i've seen something on every one of them oh my god i mean flying in general before the pandemic is already stressful yeah it's, but it's like it's like the bucket's already fucking full <laughs> and now we're like we're like yeah okay you didn't. If, this is decaf. One more, one more thing. This is decaf. Bye, <laughs> for a cappuccino. <laughs> and then you got a fucking face with scalding hot coffee on it. Uh, well, let me let, let's get back on track here. So it's not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. We're gonna keep falling off, which I love. Um, so for those listening, uh, Chris has been an actor for years. You've worked in improv for years. Mm-hmm. How did you get? When did you get started in uh, show business? When did it start for you? Um, I, you know, I grew up in it. Uh, my dad was the actor John Candy, and so I, I've been around it since I was like a little kid, born in Canada, mm-hmm. and he was well on his way when I came on the scene. Um, and then I, I, I would always be on sets as like a little kid, and then he passed when I was eight, um, and so then. There was this t- period of like, um, you know, you, I, I had an opportunity to become like a child actor mm-hmm. and I said, no, uh, smart, right. Well, it's interesting because like I'll get into it, but like I said, no, cause I wanted to have like 
a childhood, mm-hmm. you know, and I, w- and I really, at that time we had been traveling around so much that I really just wanted to be with my friends at that point in my life, which was great. And so then I went through, you know, grade school and high school and then on to college and I got into music and punk rock and ska music and I was playing in bands and, um, that was like really where all my creative energy went out to. Mm-hmm. But I was also like simultaneously always doing like a play like at, in high school, um, or in, I would join on like the improv team in high school and like, but I never considered myself like an actor. Cause there was this like major identity crisis of like, I don't want to fucking do what he did. You know, right. I'm going to do my own thing. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, I realized like, I love doing what he did because I love doing it, <laughs> you know? And it's like that reality hit. And so then, um, I think, uh, I was working as a guitar tech for this guy, Donovan Frankenreiter, and I came back to LA and I said, like, I want to be on stage more than I want to be off stage because uh, I went to school for sound design I, mm-hmm. and, and, um, I love sound, but I was again, one of those things where it was just like, like I'm a physical guy, you know? And so I wanted to be doing the, the creativity. And so, um, I, I had a friend who brought me on as a sound guy to the show Clark and Michael, which was uh, with Clark Duke and Michael Sarah, And I was a sound guy on that. And then they put me on as an actor on an episode. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And I played this guy, Bruce, and uh, it was really funny. So Clark's manager was like, if you ever want to do this, give us a call. And I did. It was this moment where I was like, I don't want to tour anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to focus on myself and my work I was in a band at the time and was like wanted to work on that band a lot and then I wanted to give acting a shot and so I asked my friend uh this comedian Kevin Christie I asked him if he knew of an acting coach Mm -hmm. and uh he was graceful enough to hook me up with a commercial agent and then I went with Clark's management company they were called Generate and like they at the time um they were the like kind of go-to for comedy people mm-hmm. and uh dave rath and carl welker and, uh they were so nice and uh i i like went and worked with them and that was like the beginning of it and mm-hmm. then the rest is kind of just the journey of it um but That's that, yeah so that it was really like i was happy with it because it was um organic i guess it's like I guess that's a popular word these days, but but yeah, but it, it makes sense because you, you you made a decision when you were younger, like you had been on sets. I mean, how much do you remember when you were on sets when you were like eight and stuff? A like ton, that? yeah, really. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like the early years, um, you know, it's it's so gigantic, you know, that it's like such a big deal. That yeah, I remember all of it. Like we moved to. Um, we moved not for long, but for like a month to Jamaica mm-hmm. when he was doing cool runnings. Wow. And, um, we lived and we would go up to Calgary when he was doing cool runnings, like every other weekend. Then when he would work on projects in, in, in Canada, we were there, Chicago. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of memories. The ones that are closer, like are of the John Hughes stuff. It's like only the lonely. I remember being around for that, which is like a really like kind of, a great one of his that a lot of people don't. I love that movie. Louis yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's a great one. Not one he's known for, but it's like a really good role of his JFK. We went down to new Orleans, you know, these are all short things, but at that time in my life, it's like <laughs> we were just the traveling, you know, circus Yeah, going all over the place. So, um, I think like when he passed, it was, that was, I remember as like a kid, I was just like, man, I miss hanging out with my friends, you know? And, uh, 
that's all I kind of cared about. And so then like when he passed, I'd, there was someone who was like, you know, if you want to get into this, you can get into it. It was kind of a bad influence person. And I was just like, ah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do it. And because, and that was like the beginning of it. And, and, um, and, but you know, as time went on, like I said, like, I fucking love it. You know, it's like so much fun. Yeah. It's great. I mean, <clears throat> So it's wild because then you have these memories, you have these experiences of being on these huge sets, like yeah. big, big film sets. And then you decide that you want to have a life. And so you end up going and, and, yeah. and having like a childhood essentially and growing up and going through that process, which is great because I feel like that gives you sort of a, I don't know, I've talked to a lot of child actors on the show and I've, I've worked with them before sure. and their lives just become very sort of strange and sort of like contained sure. and... Um, I talked to like Van Damme's kids and they're just like, the, the, their childhood is fucking crazy. Like, Did they act as kids? Yeah, they started to get into it. And then just sort of dealing with like, he's so international, such an international superstar. Yeah. There's like bodyguards and fences and, and crazy yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so. It's Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. So it's like being robbed of a childhood. And so. There's something really nice about, at least from the outside, it seems, there's something really nice about being able to have those experiences to draw on and to understand as an actor, as a storyteller, as you get older, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really, like, it, it's a two-way road. Like, I have then other friends. It's interesting, actually. Um, I have other friends, like, and this was to the point, who they've, you know, I think if you look at most actors who are working regularly today mm -hmm. they were all child actors yeah that's true you know it's like uh kurt russell was an an actor for disney in like the 60s or 70s yeah. i'm not sure yeah but you know it's like a lot of people go like well where did they come from and a majority of these actors have been working since they were kids yeah they really got started you know i think you can probably pinpoint every major actor and so for me there was like, there's just like the mechanics of it that come along with like a person who's just been around that for so long. Like they just like can do it, you know, because mm -hmm. like the acting, there's like so many elements to it. But there's also like the like bare bones, like how to memorize lines, like how to hit your marks. Like these are kind of things you just can't really be taught. Like you just have to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the ones that were the most challenging in the beginning for me. And now that I've kind of figured out how they work for me, like how to like just get the the nuts and bolts part figured out the painting and the colorfulness is like whatever is in the moment really but like the memorizing for is a hard one for me in the beginning because i just was having such a hard time and the, the the like pressure of being on set and da, 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 da. yeah i'm terrible at memorization i'm but, awful at it yeah but i had to figure out like really quickly like oh man it just you're dumb dude <laughs> like <laughs> you're dumb and you need a lot of fucking time chris you need a lot of time you know <laughs> like so i i just do that you know I, I if i if i need to memorize something like i take like for small things too these you know i'm not like a major actor here like for you know small roles i'll take like a week two weeks to get lines down so I don't care if they change them day of. I have a ballpark idea of what I'm doing and the rhythms and everything. Yeah, it's and 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 the and just the mechanics of the words. And so, they can swap out whatever they want in the moment. That's a little easier for me to do, um, but I just have to get it in there more and more uh, sturdy. And once I figured that out, I was really happy that um, I was able to like just have start having way more fun uh, in the moment because mm -hmm. I, I noticed like it's this interesting thing like. With like a commercial, for example, like um, at this point now, I've worked a handful of commercials, and 
you go and audition for it and like the audition ends up being nothing like what you're going to end up doing 100% on the day of <laughs> it's kind of funny cuz like like i remember when i worked <laughs> my big credit list i was a police officer on rosewood <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those ones that like I, I was i was green and i just focused on memorizing the lines right uh-huh. so i get the lines in and i get the part and then I don't really look at any of the other exposition, right? And I'm like, you get there and they, they're, you're, memorizing, you're running your lines, running your lines, and they're like, all right, cool. Now you're going to hop in a cop car. You're going to tail them. You're going to pull them over. You're going to pull them out of the car. <laughs> and now there's all the cues <laughs> and all the action. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I didn't practice any of this. Um, and so I guess what I'm getting at, to go back to what you're talking about, um, those like actors who started when they were kids, they just like really figured out how to do all of that stuff at an early age. And I'm just like, you know, I started when I was 24. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, great. So they know the mechanics and stuff, but I've talked to a lot of those guys and girls that are in that industry and they're just fucking crazy. Sure. <laughs> just bad shit because they haven't been around fucking people or they haven't, there's something weird about like, and I've worked with a bunch of child actors and it's weird. Right. right? Because you get into that scenario where, the parents uh-huh. either are good parents or they're not good parents. Right, 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 right. You know, I did a I did a series of commercials um, that required in the script. It was a simple ad. It was like a, a little girl on a bike that was riding through a neighborhood, and as she progresses through this neighborhood, she gets older and then arrives at home, and she's going off to college. And so the move was, let's just hire a family of like kids that look the same. And I was like, this is going to be hard. And this is on the East coast. I'm like, this is going to be hard to do. It wasn't, there was like 20 families that like the, the parents were just farming where it was just like, okay, so here's one at this age. Here's one for two years later. <laughs> and they just come in and there was like family of 12 and they're just littered. And I couldn't help but just look at the parents like and go, breeders. this is intentional. Like you did yeah. this intentionally. This yeah. is not, um, yeah, you do. You do see those ones. I've definitely you do see those those parents. Um, and you're like, what and the you fuck? know, it's funny because like y- you would think now it's like um, they must be more self aware that there are people like them out there. But then there's some of them that are just like, nope, like <laughs> this is this is my like life. I'm like the parent of a bunch of children actors, and I'm just like, right? Yeah, I'm I, getting a thousand bucks a day. I'm getting twelve hundred dollars a day. And I've booked like five commercials this week. And you, we, my old studio, uh, my old office used to be right above uh, Boston Casting, which is like the big acting studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every time we'd show up to work, it would be a fun day of like, uh, you'd see a bunch of like Italian gangsters out front. You're like, okay. <laughs> you'd see, you know, yeah. a bunch of call girls lined up, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, and, but they would have a lot of kid casting sessions. I, I might have talked about this on the show, but. Um, I would have to go get my mail. So I'd have to sort the way down through people reading lines and waiting right, in the hallways right, and right. Sort of going through stuff. And it was all kids. And you just see them. You see the lineup of the parents. It's like, I want you to do this. Bah, 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 bah. And, then, <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. And, and every once in a while, there's like this weird dichotomy of like the kid that's like super talented. Right. And the kid that doesn't like the tie that he has to wear. And, right. And I'm walking through this chaos and this is bathroom door and the bathroom door like kicks open. So I have to stop. And this kid's like standing there in the bathroom. He's got this little tie on. 
He's got tears in his eyes because he had turned on the sink and oh. water went all over him. And he goes, he just holds his hands out and he goes, help me. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> like, what is this place? <laughs> I know. I, it, it, I remember taking like non-actor friends along with me to auditions in my like mid-20s. Yeah. And they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I was like, oh, you'll know where to find me because I'm going to be sitting next to nine people that kind of look like me. <laughs> and, then, and then we're all going to be in our little segregated groups because like there's going to be a, like a, a section of like women in like sexy dresses. And then there's going to be like people dressed up like chefs. And then there's going to be people that are a bunch of like kids. And like it's like it, it, the commercial audition rooms, like if you can just go into 200 South La Brea just for like, just, oh just peek your head and you'll, you'll get a sense yeah. of what it is. It's crazy. And then casting, casting commercials is so much different. Cause I started doing music videos and commercials. Yeah. And so commercials, the casting sessions for those were just so weird because you're like, okay, what do we do? And in the beginning when I was a, a director for it, I hadn't wrapped my head around it because working with actors and commercials is completely different than working with actors and narrative. Right. Cause at that point you're, essentially casting couches like you're shopping for couches yeah you like, need like a, yeah someone to i like the help. height and i like this person's hair color right, and right. it's really sort of difficult and and so uh you know there isn't oftentimes there isn't a script in place or there isn't anything in place so when you walk sure. into a room you know in the beginning the casting agents were like what do you want them to do and I'm just like, <laughs> like when I first started, I'm like, I don't know. This is a commercial about, you know, whatever right. the fuck, you know? Uh, so it took me years to just sort of wrap my head around like, ah, I just need to see if they can take direction, if they can take change and they can do right. that. And so we would just prepare either like a scene or ideas or I'd work through sort of like a little workshop of like, hey, let's pretend like you're doing this. And right and so i get it when you say that when you go into casting sessions it's often never what the fucking commercial is about yeah yeah it, like um i remember in the in my beginning time uh working as an actor i had like auditioned 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 you know got close got close got close on so many jobs for commercials specifically mm -hmm. and then the first one i booked was me going into a room and the guy goes okay what sports do you like <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm Canadian, so I love hockey. <laughs> and I was just like, and then the, the job was for Pizza Hut. And I, the only, they didn't need me to be a fucking sports fan. They just needed like a big tough guy. <laughs> and I just happened to look like the tough guy. And then you come to realize that this is like a huge Pizza Hut campaign where they're filming like 12 spots. And uh, mine didn't run. <laughs> <laughs> The first one I ever booked, you know, and, and you hear all these glory stories about commercials and they pay so well. And I, I like everything that could happen about a commercial has happened to me. I think at this point, maybe there's a few things that haven't, but like you book it, you get cut out, you book it, they don't run it. You know, mm -hmm. you book it, it runs forever. You work with a dog, the dog bites you, you know, like all the things <laughs> like, all, I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but, and I haven't booked, I've maybe booked like 10 at this point. I'm not sure, but. But I'm so happy about that. But like, yeah, it's just like, I say that because I have friends that like have booked like over 200 commercials. Dude, it's, I mean, there, there are folks that would make a career like just continuously. They knew you how can, you can, they know how to book them and they know how to get those positions. You can. And, and, and I think they're like, you know, the great starting point because like you just end up 
making that money that you need because they 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 just you could work on a TV show and get like enough to pay the rent and that's it that month mm-hmm. but you could book a commercial and it could pay your whole year you yeah. know so it's like they're just really interesting like this is that the big the big big bad money yeah the big bad money system 100 <laughs> percent, dude some of the biggest agencies were back in boston they did all the progressive ads so like look oh at, yeah look at flow from progressive yeah yeah the amount of money that she makes on that stuff it's cool it really confuses people when you tell them like you've only worked like one day and you've been fine for two years mm-hmm. they're kind of like the f- fuck (laughs) (laughs) what they also have to remember is that it's all about you know your likeliness selling insurance to people and so there is this sense of like there's a lot to it i I always looked at it as all the work that i never got is getting paid back now for whatever i booked with that so all that free work that you end up doing and inevitably do as as an actor it just like goes into it but it's all it's you know but it's also it also goes beyond that too like Flow's flow. Yeah. So like if Flo's trying to get into film, like whoever she's working with has yeah. to compete with the fact that Flo's fucking flow. Sure. And so if you're doing something large like that, you should be getting paid because your face essentially is being branded to insurance or to pizza sure. or whatever the fuck it is. So Well, she's done a great job of getting like hyper creative within those spots. Like she's played like multiple characters. I'm sure she is like just making the absolute best out of that awesome situation. Yeah. Um, but you know, she could be on a show. No problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she could be on like, I think she's very talented. I think she came from that initially. She she? came from, uh, groundlings. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And, um, but no, yeah, I don't know. I fucking, I don't know. Like I sit here talking about like, I, it's just been my experience, you know? And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, grew up doing like punk rock stuff. So I, I would come at a lot of things with like a DIY perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and that was what's cool about Rick, the guy I've been working with and my friend Garen, you know, it's like all about like getting out there and just doing things, you know, and making projects. Cause like the interim between all of the like, um, stuff you end up booking, I always wanted to make sure I felt like I had some kind of control of my actual voice. And then you can do that if you, have a crew that is down to make like fun little things. So yeah. then I can get my sense out of what I find funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's the same thing as a director. At the end of the day, you're getting paid to do what they've seen you do. Yeah. And so you have to sort of lay that foundation. If you're like, I'm a great serious actor and I'm a great comedian, we'll show us. And then if you do a short that does that, then it's easier to get book that gig. Exactly. As opposed to like, Oh, I saw this, uh, home Depot spot and he really, <laughs> He really conveyed his sense of no one. You know the way you pulled the light bulb off that shelf. Yeah. This guy, he's got it. He's got it. <laughs> oh god, it's such a you know you. I, I've joked with you about your podcast because it's like uh, in love with the process, but it's such a fucking maddening process. It is. It is. It Every is. time it's going to be a maddening process, I'm going to talk like this and <laughs> tell you how much it just really makes me mad. But it, it look, and those of you listening to the show know how I can go off on diatribes on this shit. But I still love it, man. Even though it is the most miserable thing sometimes. It's a waiting game. I talked, Rick and I joke about it, where it is, you get like a little kernel 
<laughs> of joy mm -hmm. and then a big old slab of weight <laughs> you get like it's like you get a sentence you get a you get a letter to finish the book <laughs> and then and then you get a whole and then on top of you get like 40 blank pages you know it's like it's so much waiting and um you just I, I, just how it goes especially if you're creating your own stuff you know you're working on your feature mm -hmm. um and and I have projects that I've been working on. It just takes a fucking long time. It's a nightmare. It makes sense though too, right? Like it's like not everyone's on the same page. You're dealing with like sometimes like fourteen other people's. I'm just being nice. Schedules. But it's it's you know? true. And and then you're dealing with you know like you're dealing with companies and production companies that aren't putting all their eggs in one basket. So like there's multiple other projects sure. that are running and sure. And then it's all about just catching they. Most of these projects, it seems like they have to wait for it to catch fire in some way. Yeah. Like it's either an investment happens and all of a sudden they're like, fuck, it's happening. Or like uh, an actor's booked or, you know, someone finally reads a fucking script and then that like triggers something. And, yeah. And then you get these calls because you and I are sitting here waiting. Yeah. And, and, and um, it, for me, it's like it, when it rains, it pours. And then when it is a drought, it is a, a fucking, fucking drought. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... But that's that like on the positive side to it, like that is in, in, instead of looking at it as a drought, you end up having to look at it as like, OK, this is the time to like go and make a fun sketch or this. You it's such a fucking muscle because we're I'm incredibly dumb and incredibly lazy. But like you <laughs> have to push through that time and just go like, all right, this is the time to actually like, um, you know, uh, do things or, or, or quite frankly, focus on other things that aren't this business. Yeah. Because like, that is one thing that I've learned from people who are very successful in this business is they do kind of move the target around or they, they move their focus, you know, focus on yourself. Um, you focus on your family, focus on, uh, you know, uh, other elements of it because time will just go by and then, you know, you'll realize like you've spent, you know, X amount of years focused on this thing and you didn't, um, take care of yourself or other things. And, and that is like super important. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I find helps in those like downtimes because like you just have to, you kind of, it's like, you have to just give yourself the like, okay to be like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to go to the beach. My acting teacher actually is just like mm -hmm. really good at that. Like he's this guy, his name's Ian Tucker, really nice guy. Very, very smart. Um, and like he would tell me, like he'd have actors coming in, going like, "Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm taking you know two classes and an improv class, and um, I'm, I'm going to these workshops, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dinners and trying to mingle with people, and you know, what else do I need to do?" And he would just look at him and go, "Well, you should maybe take a day off and go to the beach. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you true. know, you should probably." Take some time. It's true, man. Because, you know, it's like when things get busy, they're going to get busy. And when they're not busy, they're just not busy. Yeah. And that's okay. You have to be kind of okay with that. Um, if you're a lifer, if you're going to do this thing for your life, uh, you got to figure out ways to fill the time and have it be like worthwhile or like, what's the fucking point? Exactly. I mean, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago when I was writing for commercials, like, We'd write treatments for ads or music videos. I'd, I, there was a year I wrote like 70 treatments and I got five of them. And right. so like you write these and you're just waiting and look, everything's a fucking emergency when they come to you and they're like, okay, so 
this is going to happen. Yeah. You got to write this treatment. You gotta, and you're, you're in the whirlwind of the sales pitch where you're like, okay, all right, all right. And how are you going to put this together? And I have to learn how to, oh yeah. And I'm, I'm in love with this thing. Oh fuck yeah. And it's all this really great stuff. Right. And then they go, okay, we'll call you. And then in the beginning, you know, I would just like go to my office and sit in my office and wait for the fucking phone <laughs> yeah, call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I'm at work and I'm just checking my emails and looking at my phone. I'm waiting for the fucking phone know, call. That's psycho. Yeah. And it, it, I hit a point where I go, I, I have a phone that will ring on the beach. <laughs> so why am I not going to the beach? Why am I not doing stuff like, why don't I go out and have beers with a bunch of friends? My phone's going to fucking ring no matter, no matter where what. I am. I know, I know. We have this thing called technology that allows us to fucking, yeah. we complain about being connected, but you know, we don't support it when it actually is good to keep us connected. Yeah, like I totally get it. It's like, it, it's hard though. It, it's really hard because like we get so excited and it's like, we just want to keep moving and moving and moving. And there, there is a time for that because that's the other thing I've also noticed. The counter of that is when you are busy and then, you know, you'll come across people who then will immediately without fail, start fucking complaining. Yeah. <laughs> they'll be like, there'll be actors who probably, I mean, you know, I'll go on a job and I haven't worked in like, you know, a year. And then you'll get there and they'll be like, oh God, why am I going home? And it's like, I'm sorry. Like we're both working on like a fucking peppermint patty commercial here. <laughs> like, like, let's just, this is a field trip today. Yeah, yeah. This is the fucking lottery day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, have fun. And, um, you know, it's not like we're so busy. Like we're like on set, like, you know, a six day work week, you know, it's like, no, like, and I, I will save that complaint for some people who are working those real hours. Yeah, yeah. But you will come across people who love to just complain. It's such a, it, it's such a fucking interesting scene. Yeah. It really is. There's so many personalities and archetypes of people. And I just, it's like, you just really have to stay focused and in reality about it. Because like, it's so easy to just fucking flip the brain and you're like, all of a sudden accepting your Oscar. When, you know, it's yeah. Like, well, I mean, the movie industry or the entertainment industry is like a giant bug light and it just, it attracts like all these people yeah, that come yeah. to it and they're all coming for the, the glory of the fucking shiny thing, you know, like I'm going to be on screen or I'm, I'm going to have this career and make all this money. And, and, then, and they show up and they're like, this is not as glamorous. Well, that, that's the funny thing. Like the, the reality about our business is it, may be the most unfair business oh, yeah. on planet earth yeah, all right it's time to take a break it's time to talk about some sponsors. It's time to get into some stories about some sponsors. Uh, we have a bunch of new sponsors on the way because of the work that you guys do, because you guys click on those links below the episode, because you guys have been leaving reviews. Um, I'm getting bigger and better guests, and I'm getting more sponsors. And just so you know, these sponsors, like I'm not... I'm not making lucrative cash off these sponsors, right? These sponsors go to help pay for the show. They pay for hosting, web hosting. They pay for subscription services. Like many of you are creatives. How much, how ridiculous is the cost of Adobe per year, right? What is it, almost 700 bucks or something? So all these costs add up and uh, these sponsors help us out. 
And sometimes they give cash to the show. Sometimes they give gear to the show. Um, but either, however it comes in, thank you. <laughs> it's a necessary thing. Any chance that I have not to reach into my own wallet to make this show happen for you is great because then I don't have to charge you for it. So listening to the sponsor reads helps the show clicking on the trackable links below the episode. Just go through. If you're curious about any of these folks, click on a link and just that alone helps tell our sponsors that you're listening and that you're interested and that it's worth continuing to sponsor the show. Right? Full, full disclosure. All right, let's get into it. First up, good friends over at Puget Systems. I know so many of you have been writing to me telling me that you're buying your own Puget System. Uh, congratulations. You've finally woken up. You've finally gotten to that point where you understand that it isn't about brands, right? It's not about the unboxing experience. It's not about spending like, I'd say 5, 10, 12% more on a system. Why not build yourself something customized specifically to what you need it to be? Are you a video editor? Are you a music producer? Are you someone that needs to use Photoshop, right? Build a PC that works perfectly for the software that you're gonna use. And I hate to say it, there isn't a set of hardware that works perfectly for everything. There's hardware out there that works really well for Premiere, there's hardware out there that works really well for um, DaVinci stuff. It just, you can buy a baseline system that kind of works well for everything, or if you're really pushing your luck, which you should be as a creative, and you're pushing your hardware, you wanna get your hands on a computer that has been benchmark tested specifically for the software you use. Go to PugetSystems.com, check it out. You can search for their, uh, you can build a custom system based upon the software that you're using, and they have a very simple, very simple, easy to use website. So all you have to do is go there and click and go, hey, guess what? I want to build a Premiere system, boom, boom, boom. They'll offer up a baseline package and then they want to hear from you. You reach out, you tell them what you're building, you tell them what you're working on, and you become friends. That's real customer support. Like you're talking to somebody. You're not doing some weird chat room thing and you're waiting for them to respond back and days go by. Real people. Head on over to PugetSystems.com and check it out. Also supporting the show, as always, good friends over at Quasar Science. Um, I love lighting. You know this. I'm obsessed with lighting. I've been obsessed with lighting for years. It's like a great plate of food to me, walking on a good lit set, you know? Um, and one of the best tools right now is LED technology. Not only does it run cooler, as in the light doesn't get hot, which means that your sets don't become super hot, um, but they're lightweight fixtures. Uh, they require less power. And um, a lot of these fixtures can do a variety of amazing things. So you can get yourself like a, a bicolor LED unit, which uh, gives you perfect uh, daylight color tones, gives you perfect tungsten color tones, or you can get yourself a rainbow LED unit, which will run through any colors in the rainbow and the spectrum. Uh, and these lights are programmable. You can chain them together. You can run them through DMX boards. You can do all sorts of amazing stuff with it. Uh, I know there's a lot of you out there that continuously ask me, Mike, what do you have in your kit? What do you use to shoot? Um, I always have on hand a tube from Quasar. They're incredibly rugged. Uh, they don't fall apart on set and they're reliable. And especially if you're someone that is 
driving around in a hatchback and you don't have a lot of storage space, these guys take up a very small footprint. Um, so go check them out. Head on over to Quasar Science. Check out all the new stuff that they're coming out with. Um, and they have, they're have a great resource for lighting. It's a company that was put together by gaffers. So gaffers on set complaining about the quality of light, complaining about the quality of hardware and the quality of gear and going, well, let's change the fucking game. Let's, let's build the units that we wish we could be holding on to every day and rigging into ceilings and unpacking from crates, you know? Uh, you don't believe me? Head on over to Quasar Science and check it all out. Also supporting the show, as I promised at the beginning of the episode, we talk about them, our good friends over at, at Black Magic. So Black Magic hooked me up with a brand new camera. They hooked me up with their 6K Cinema Pro camera. Um, and I really put it through its paces on the mom song video. Uh, if you guys watched the teaser, that was shot with this camera. Really gorgeous stuff. I ended up putting together like very customized 1980s uh, vibed LUTs for it because I wanted sort of that, the look and feel and tone of uh, the old Beastie Boys videos the old Jay-Z videos, I wanted that vibe. And so I put together two different LUTs. I had a black and white LUT for the black and white footage, and I had this really crunchy color LUT. Um, very vibrant, but it also like semi-tweaked the reds and yellows. So it just sort of slightly changes it to make it just a little bit more surreal, make it feel a little bit more like um, push process color film. Um, and the great thing about LUTs with this camera is that I can load these LUTs into the camera itself that will either preview, you can choose with this rig, you can preview out to your monitor with the LUT, or you can preview on your camera uh, screen with the LUT or in the eyepiece with the LUT. So you can choose the different outputs for it. And for those of you who are listening that don't know what a LUT is, it's essentially a color correction. So it's like a color grade file, right? So I, I go through and I do a pass on uh, like a shot in daylight and I change all the colors and then I store all that information, how I did all those adjustments into a LUT, which is then put on your monitor, but it's not baked into the footage that you're shooting. And here's where it's very beneficial. If you're someone like me that likes to really play with lighting and really adjust lighting, I want to see how tweaking lights on set will adjust the color correction that I have set for post. So it's really cool. Not only do you get to show your clients what it's ultimately going to look like when they're standing at the monitor, but then you can also adjust how it's going to look by changing your lighting on set or maybe like throwing a gel on a light. How does that gel affect this color grade that I'm in theory going to be using in post? It was fascinating with black and white. You'd be surprised how changing the uh, the white balance on your lights changes the black and white grade. So like I was pushing most of my light stuff towards daylight, heavy into daylight, almost towards blue because I liked what it was cosmetically doing um, to the ladies' faces on set. And the thing that was really great about the Black Magic is that it's also recording raw, right? So I was capturing all this information on 6K raw files. Never... Did I think that I would use 6K, that I needed 6K? There aren't 6K TVs. Why the fuck am I shooting 6K? 
it came in such handy when I was like reframing or if I had to stabilize. It was fucking great. And it ran like a dream on my Puget system. I was using raw 6K files in my timeline. And if you ever see a music video timeline, I had about, oh Jesus, I'd say 28 tracks of video <laughs> running seamlessly, running real time. And the other great thing about RAW is that you can actually go back in and adjust all of the recorded information because it's not just capturing what you've set it at, right? So it's not just saying, hey, you've set this thing at 100 ISO, so we're gonna record it at 100 ISO, and we're gonna record uh, the color temperature of what you set it on the camera. It records uh, not only what you set, but it records, I think it was like four stops up and four stops below, um, and then all of the color spectrum. So you can dial it all in and post right in the timeline. I was doing all of my color grade and all of my adjustments with the raw files in my timeline and with uh, Lumetri in Premiere. Super easy, super fast, super efficient. Uh, I have a lot of really good things to say about this camera. So if you guys are in the market for a new camera, definitely check it out. Like I said, I have the 6K Pro. Um, but uh, if you guys want to know more about it, then um, leave me some comments below. Leave me some comments in Apple Podcast comment section, like underneath. Write me some questions and say, hey, what did you think of this camera? Should I get this camera? What's going on? Rate the show and leave me some comments below. Okay. Um, so yeah, go check them out. Uh, head on over to Blackmagic. I think it's blackmagiccreative.com. What's their web address? I'm such, I should have done this research before this. Hold on, we'll do it right now. I know Blackmagic is listening. <laughs> Blackmagic. I think it's Blackmagic Creative. Nope, it's blackmagicdesign.com. So head on over to blackmagicdesign.com and check out their products. Not only do they do amazing cameras, but they also do um, amazing color correction software, amazing uh, color correction consoles, um, all sorts of hardware, uh, monitors, everything that's incredibly useful to you as a filmmaker. So head on over to blackmagicdesign.com. All right, in other news, Guess who's back? Guess who's back on the show? Yep, Audible. I went through the process of figuring it all out. Turns out that I don't know what happened. For some reason, everything dropped off the map. They reinvented their, uh, their trial setup for us on the podcast. They wrote to me last week. They were like, look, we're sorry. We changed everything over. We're doing a whole new thing. Would you like to still do it? And I went, yeah, okay, let's try it out. All right. You know, I was kind of, I was kind of upset that everything fell off the map, but you guys wrote, and you, okay, you apologized about it. All right, let's try it. Let's do it. So once again, we're back with Audible. You sign up. If you sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com backslash ILWP, so that's audibletrial.com backslash ILWP. Um, we get cash for the show. Let's be real about it. It is the best way to get great 
audio content from Audible. I listen to them all the time. I'm always listening to all of my books on there because I just don't have time to read them. I'm one of those guys that when I sit down to read a book, I open it up and I literally fall asleep. <laughs> the worst. And so when I'm riding, I'm out on my rides. Uh, in the morning, I like to listen to audiobooks. I like to listen to podcasts. Um, I just was recently listening to this awesome book um, on, oh my God, on paramedics. And I'm fucking loving it. Uh, you guys know I'm obsessed with that sort of thing. And uh, I'm just pulling it up right now. Yeah, A Thousand Naked Strangers. I'm on my Audible account right now. Uh, amazing book. I just finished uh, listening to The Powers of Two, which is a great book that talks about how like all of the best artists, all of the most successful uh, people uh, always come in twos. And even if you don't know the name of the second person, there's usually someone behind the scenes uh, helping them pull that together. Um, so those are the two books that I read recently. Uh, sign up for a free trial at Audible. Let me see. What do we have here? I have this thing printed out. Uh, let's give you some information. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection uh, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. To kick off 2020, we're focusing on uh, New Year, New You. Okay, so this is obviously old copy. So uh, let's, let me continue read. <laughs> we have plenty of content that'll help your audience pursue their goals, whether it's getting fit, finishing more books, or becoming a better parent, leader, or person. Uh, you can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and it can be installed on smartphones and tablets. And you can listen across devices without losing your spot. Um, so head on over to Audible. So do audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. Most importantly, if you're thinking about doing that, do it with our code. The audibletrial.com backslash ILWP. And uh, that will get us paid. Okay? I'm being real. Um, that's it. Uh, let's get back into it with Chris. friend who is an, uh, an actor a friend of mine and he would where he was doing he's a stand-up at the this guy adam epenstein and uh he was a stand-up at the um the comedy store mm -hmm. and he would like talk to guys who have been like you know some people who are like homeless who are still getting time up at the comedy store you know and um wow he would tell me or like like sleeping there I, you know I, I don't know them but he would tell me like he would just 
and they would always be complaining. Oh, I've been doing this for 30 years, you know? And then he would stop them and go, oh, wait a sec. Like, you don't fucking get it. This has nothing to do with how much time you've put into this thing. No one cares. (laughs) It's like if you do, you know, it's like it's hard to explain. It's so personal for each person. But time is not one of them. Mm. People don't go, you know what? You've been doing this long enough. You've been doing it long enough. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Here's your series regular role. You deserve this. Like (laughs) no one comes out and says that. Dick Wolf comes around a corner and says, hey there, (laughs) Freddy. We're rebooting a show and we need a mediocre ground level actor to be on (laughs) the next season of Law and Order. Special victims, special victims unit. Yeah. 408. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be mean, but it's just, it's like, that's my, I agree with that observation based yeah. on the fact that I think that, cause I've seen people who just get very lucky and have that luck in the beginning. And then I, and then a lot of other people, but that's to back to my point. I think like the people who started working younger, they've just like, they've been in it. They just have those, t- that time. And there is a truth to that. I do think there is a truth to time in regards to, um, work you know like uh, someone was pointing that out the other day like i've only been on set and worked on set like how many hours not that many you Mm -hmm. know but like if we're talking about auditioning maybe more hours you know it's like it's all experience i think if if i could tell anybody not that you asked but i love giving advice (laughs) everybody's listening so (laughs) don't fucking be afraid to be dumb and green you know it's like like Mm -hmm. and just say to yourself like at least to yourself you don't have to tell other people but at least to yourself go, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. Dude, if you came up to me as the actor and I was a director and you were like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd be like, okay, at least you're honest with me. Let's yeah. deal with this. Yeah. Like, like it, it's kind of a, it's like if it's, if it's, if it's private, you know, it kind of helps, you know, Yeah. because you go, okay, cool. Like then the pressure goes away. I'd, I'd, I'd most likely go, neither do I. So let's figure this thing out. Cause like that's a lot of the arguments that you hear about, right? It's yeah. like a director and an actor and they're fighting each other. And, and oftentimes it's like the fucking director doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And he's probably right. <laughs> you know, because he, he's probably the, the director is probably, uh, you know, uh, peacocking and attempting to, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Fucking. Well, it's a weird, it's, I think it's funny as we start to examine with everything that I don't want to get too deep into it, but with IATSE and the strikes and, all of the the positioning yeah. that you're seeing, you're actually the veils being pulled, and you're understanding what the excuse me the politics, but also the pecking order of film sets. Sure, and, and film sets are fascinating because um, it takes as a director or creator, it takes fucking forever to 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 make sure that you're in the position to see a rainbow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're just like I need to have the skills to see a rainbow and when I see it run over and fucking get on it. You know what I mean? Like I have to do that. And so for years, years and years, 15, 20 years, you're just building these skills or building that experience or being on sets and doing all this stuff. And then you get access, you see a rainbow and then you're confronted with these fucking gatekeepers that are in between you and your final thing. And it's like, how do you get this? And can you get this? And you're not the right demo for this. And this isn't the right project. And so consistently, many creatives are just being beaten down consistently like, fuck, I was a nice guy, but this is what being a nice guy gets me. And I was this person and this is what this gets me. Or I've seen this person be an asshole and it's my turn to be a fucking asshole. And so 
our industry is just loaded with all of this compressed uh, it's it's almost like it's almost like having a spouse to beat you, and you just continuously have to go back home and go. Oh home. right, yeah. There 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 is that element of like, um, yeah. It's I, like I, post traumatic stress syndrome kind of thing. It, it totally is. I think there's a lot of people who lean into those roles, and then also like you can kind of like mentally jujitsu that by going like this just isn't the right fit. You yes, know? like that's the other way to to flip it because. But it's like that, I think then that also is like, you know, the interesting like journey of this art form, quite frankly, is like, it's a lifetime thing, you know? Yeah. And like, um, it's, it's like there are better fits than others and you can sit around and like, you just, I've done it, you know, you sit and complain and, and, yeah. and, and then, you, and then you do get the role. It's like, it's funny because you fucking get so excited <laughs> you go from yeah. fucking zero to fucking hero yeah. so fucking fast a tesla couldn't even catch you yeah you fucking it's, animated birds come oh out of everywhere my god and just it's so fucking annoying how quick you change but it you you know it's like the, and then you see it and you go oh, okay that made sense I don't know. Like, but it's, you, you have a good point and, uh, I'll often do that. Like I'll sit around and I'll watch a bunch of shows and I'm like, these fucking assholes like had this shit, but this person get the show. But then I have to remind myself if the agent called me with that idea, I would have been like, no, I don't want to do that fucking show. And it's, it's great that they're doing it cause it suits them and it suits what they come from or where they come from. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I should be doing that show. And the only reason why I get bitter when I'm not working is just because I'm not fucking working. And that's the only reason I'm a bitter prick about it. Yeah. And that, and then that's the time to like focus on like, it's, I don't know that's the time to focus on the other stuff because it's just, it, it ain't, it ain't hitting. Cause when it, it does hit, boom, makes perfect sense. It's flowing. And when it doesn't like, I just, I have to maintain that kind of mindset to be like, okay, like, and then that's all, you know, it, it, there's also a thing that can happen where it's not working and it is coming from you and you can't see it. Yes. And, 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 and it's, you know, working against you and, and, and like really good point. And this is so stupid, but like, it makes so much sense. Like, you know, forever I had an Instagram handle that was just NNR, which stands for my running thing. I love to run, mm -hmm. which is never not run. And, and I started Instagram like way early on, but for forever, I never wanted to admit the reality that like people view you on your social media, 100%. especially if you're an up and coming actor who no one knows who the fuck you are. But, and so I have this Instagram handle and I'm starting to work more. And my manager was like, would you ever want to change it? And I'm, no, I blah, blah, blah. Like I'm coming up with excuses. Right. And then one day I, you know, finally go like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're hiding from people you know, and just change it. And it's like, I say it's stupid because it really is just changing it. But internally, I, there was a part of me that was like, I don't want to fully have everyone see me. You yeah, know? right. And, and it's as small and insignificant as an Instagram thing. It's not like I booked any more work by changing it, but it ends up just being like, you know, I'll talk to other people who are starting out and I'll just be like, it sounds so nerdy, but it's, it's like, oh, you need a website for yourself. Do I? No, I don't. That's corny. No, just like do it, you know? And um, why? Well, it just makes people, it's easier for people to see you because no one fucking knows. Yeah. And it's just, if you can make it easier, it's not really about the website. It's actually just more about the, the mindset of like, I want people to see me. Yeah. And if that's coming from the right spot, because 
My main thing is I think that like, um, cause I've fallen victim to this, but I think like coolness and being interested in being cool is really, really toxic and like really dangerous being infatuated with like coolness. And mm -hmm. I've fallen victim to that. Cause like, you know, you just grow up wanting to be cool and, but cool kind of hides you from things and puts you in this place of like knowing everything and know it alling. And like, I, I really think like, it's just like, it's more interesting to be authentic and all that stuff. And so, yeah. um, I think for acting, it's like, you need to, when you're getting in your own way, mm -hmm. it's usually one of those things, I think, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so, um, that's the other thing that can happen if you're not like, things aren't clicking yeah. for you. That's a really good advice too, and really good insight into that because um, we have no time. We have all this time that we're waiting. We have all this time that we're doing stuff, and we're just internalizing everything. And I, oftentimes, I'll find that when I start to get too internal, I start to overthink, and there's that voice in your head that you're just continuously hearing that's giving you this feedback, and you're like, "What the fuck do you know? <laughs> like, you don't <laughs> know. know. You don't know what this is." And so you're just battling with this stuff all the time, and. I find that when I'm not working or if it's, if start stuff starts to get real down, I like to hang out with people. I like to go you hang out to. with folks yeah. because then we just have a fresh conversation and I'm just like, there's another voice. Like there's some other fucking voice yeah. that isn't this like relentless motherfucker that's in my head consistently. Um, and it, I always feel so much better afterwards and usually inspired and I hang out with someone and they're just like, you know, you should try this and I'm doing this thing. And you're like, Oh, can I go with you and do that fucking thing? You know? And it's, it's great. Dude. Yeah. Because I think like for me, I had to like crack down for my thing. It's like, especially, I think a lot of people would have assumed I had it very easy because of my dad, like going into the industry mm -hmm. and it just isn't the case, you know, like it, it's like I got, I, I, I've been able to have been fortunate in a lot of other ways, but, you know, they aren't just, you know, bringing people in via nepotism. You know, yeah. you really have to prove yourself. And I've got, you know, 12 years of work ethic to prove it. Like, it just it didn't work that way. And you have to really do it yourself. And I find that, like, if um, you... I can slip into the fantasy land of it where it's like, oh, I've got, you know, I, I've got it all going for me, you know? And that's just not, you have to stay in reality through it all. Yeah. And that, and, and when you're in that headspace, it actually becomes easier. Um, and part of it is, I think it's, it's actually a fun podcast because it's like so important to know like what to do when fucking shit ain't popping. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had a friend who's a director and he would call me and we'd talk and he'd be like bored, you know, just not, you know, and he was getting his movie ready to go. Wasn't sure. Financers coming on, financers coming off. And then I would just be like, man, you're about to be like ridiculously busy, like really soon. So like maybe just enjoy the weekend. Yeah. And sure enough, three weeks went by and then he goes to work and he's gone for two years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, it's kind of nice. I, I would imagine it's, it's good to have that voice internally or someone telling you, like if you're going for it and hustling, you know, it's okay to like chill the fuck out, chill sometimes. out sometime, yeah. you know, because yeah. uh, it's it's it, it's actually going to be more beneficial for you. So let's swap gears and, and uh, go back. Um, I'm fascinated with the experiences that and the people that you've met uh, because of your dad's work. And we talked a little bit about it. You knew John Hughes a bunch, right? Or worked? Yeah, 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 definitely. John, um, 
Hughes was a, a really good family friend of ours. And uh, my dad made, I think, the most movies with him. Yeah. And, um, and he was, you know, one of these people who um, just has it, you know, like um, in, in his later years, he had moved from uh, L.A. after my father had passed away. I mean, I, I saw him when I was a kid and then at my dad's funeral, and then I didn't see him until I was about in the sixth grade. And his son was getting married. And my mom and, and sister and I went out to the wedding and uh, saw John again. And John knew exactly how to talk to me. Hmm. He just knew it. He was just like, he he started relating to me about ska music. He's like, immediately like jumped right into it. He was just like, he was kind of a like a low talker, but he was just like, um, so I, I heard you like ska music. Well, I saw the specials uh, back in 1984, <laughs> me and Nancy. And, uh, and his wife, rest her soul, Nancy. And, um, you know, it, it was, they were just amazing. They were just such a fun show. And I lit up, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, this guy knows about the specials. <laughs> and it was it was such a it was such a kind gesture. Right. Because um, he he was a good human. He was a good soul. And so then he was a super important person to me because he really connected the dots between me and my dad, who I felt very out of touch with. Really? After he'd passed, you know, it wasn't much time, right? If I do the timeline of it, we're talking about four or five years. So not much time, but I, I, I was very um, stressed and nervous and, and like didn't, you know, couldn't really remember that time when he was alive very well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and his light really, I kind of was more just covered in the darkness of his passing. And he has a lot of light, my dad. And John was able to like reconnect all these stories about how genuine he was to work with and, you know, fun stories about them and, you know, like all kinds of really neat stories. And, uh, he was just so, so, you know, important for me for that reason. And he, um, was like a, one of the, I, I felt for years, like I wanted to make sure I talked about him enough because I felt like people didn't know him very well because he really did leave Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it makes sense. I think this industry does want people to do their work and then they need to live their lives if it's, you know, they're being pulled on. Yeah. I'd never really understood it, but I get it now. You know, if you're that desirable, they'll work you to death, yeah. you know, like not literally, but like they'll work you as long as they can. Yeah. They'll yeah. never sell you to take a vacation. Right. Because right. uh, there's always cash to be made off your name. So. Yeah, especially a guy like John. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he could have easily returned and made a movie. Yeah, no problem. Um, but he didn't, and and he was righteous in that manner. He he knew that his time had stopped, but he found ways to still be creative by writing. And uh, he loved music. He was like, you know, and that's what he's known for for his soundtracks. But you know, he had this, you know, his early hard drives of like Apple, like he was like the nicest Apple, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he had this awesome study and in the study had the like most beautiful sounding sound system. It was these beautiful speakers. And the first time I'd ever seen like a Macintosh preamp and he just had like a line into his computer and he would just sit there all day and he would digitize vinyl <laughs> and he would really basically like archive music 
And, you know, and in the years leading up to his, his passing, I would go to their farm or I'd go to their house and he would always be into a different genre of music. You know, one year it was classical, another year it was Jamaican music and reggae, country. And he just could, you know, I, I wish I had better examples of how he would connect story, but he knew like the narratives, like he would say something to the effect of like, you know, um, these artists really stole, or no, excuse me, Elvis Presley really, really stole the style of these artists. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically took their image, you know. One of the most interesting ones actually is, um, I think it's uh, William Grant Still. I have to double check it, but um, it is, let me, I, I, I want to mm -hmm. make sure I get this right, but um, he was this um, songwriter mm -hmm. from the Tin Pan Alley era. And he, he, if for people listening, they should definitely, yeah, William Grant Still um, from Mississippi. And okay. he told me that basically Gershwin took this guy's style. Hmm. And if you listen to early William Grant Still, you hear the early summertime theme. You hear the you hear basically like the whole MGM sound. Really? Yeah, and and you can and I, I from that's what he turned me on to. You know, don't don't blow me up if I'm wrong, but sure. But from what you know, it's like he's introducing me into this you know artist who was basically you know robbed from from the Tin Pan Alley era, and you know if you listen to the two, it's there's very very close similarities. And so, you know, like the summertime theme, like I said, and, and um, Poor Game Bass, all of those themes. And that's like a big, 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 big Hollywood sound. Wild. And, it, and so he, it was, he was a black composer. Wild. And so it's like, he just was so like in deep because he just had that time mm -hmm. and he had that brain. And then when he passed, I could do a whole podcast talking about John. Yeah. But um, you then come to, you know, hear about how he worked in the industry and like he wrote the first draft for Ferris Bueller in one night. Wow. You know, it's like he just, and, and then he one night showed me page notes for, um, you know, planes, trains and automobiles. And, you know, he was writing that in like three days and he just, it was like a very, very unbelievable writer. And so I was just always like, you know, it was just one of those things where you were around the guy and you could feel it and you could tell that he just was incredibly like, um, gifted at what he would do. And then for, I think, you know, he was also just incredibly nice, you know, and, and he connected yeah. the dots. Like he had a story he said, he said where him and my dad, and this is actually a fucking, there's so many, but there's a really good one where they all, okay. So they were in Chicago or New York. Mm-hmm. And they were working on some movie. And, you know, they both had two pretty big teams with them. They were all in their rooms, and they were done working for the day, and they were going to go out to dinner. And they all met in the lobby. And um, they get in the limousine, and they go to um, dinner. And mm -hmm. they notice there's, a, like, one guy in the, uh, in the limo who's, like, acting, like, a little goofy, and they're not sure if he's, like, drunk or something. Mm -hmm. And... Um, they get to dinner and the guy is like there and they, he's still kind of acting weird and uh he's like drinking a little bit too much and then like he, i think he spills his wine and, like i guess 
John leans over to my father and is like, hey, man, your friend can't really keep it together. And then my dad leans over to him and goes, I thought he was your friend. <laughs> and it was someone who just Some was in random? the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> the two entourages meet, and he just decided to go oh, for the for drive. The <laughs> so I think, I think they did. I think like... At that time, I think like security was brought in to bring the guy out. Oh like, like, <laughs> Your friend can't hold it together. That's great. But, you know, like hearing stories like that and, and hearing for me, like the human, uh, the, the, the guy behind the camera, the guy who wasn't a father. So Ty, uh, stories of my dad were really nice. And, yeah. And it's all, um, and, and when he, yeah, when he passed, I was just like heartbroken. Still am. You know, he just was like such a, um, you know, I, I get upset with people who've passed that aren't going to get to meet the people I know today. Yeah. Because I just go, man, like I've known so many neat people from my dad's life and or, who are a part of my life that a lot of people won't get to meet, you know, and, and, and I, I that that is, I think, the most upsetting thing about loss for me is that there's just people who won't get to experience, experience that mm-hmm. and, um, may, you know. I get, I like sharing things with people. <laughs> yeah, dude. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My dad had this friend, uh, Tino Insana, who was an improv actor and, and he was, um, again, another really like light, unbelievable improviser. And he passed away a couple years ago and, um, he was just a super nice dude too, you know? And like he would, he was improvising back in, in the second city era with like Bill Murray and, um, my father and he was just doing the Chicago years. And so he was super important to me too. And like, again, like just reminding me of who this guy was. And that was really great. You know, that's gotta be so wild. Cause how old were you when your dad passed it again? When you were eight? eight, eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's so young. It's way too young. It's not now. It's not the, you know, it's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. You're supposed to have both parents, you know, for a long enough time to kind of get to a place where you can kind of, you know, handle the loss. It's always going to be tough, but you know, I, it, like a funny note, like I felt like a professional for loss as a kid. <laughs> oh my God. I imagine I can only imagine. Well, I, you know, I'm eight and you know, in therapy and, and, and working on myself and all these things. So <laughs> when my friends are now our age and their parents would pass, you know, in the back of my head, I would be like, all right, I got them. And I remember one friend in particular, like his father had unfortunately passed and we were at a friend's wedding and I like wanted to, to talk about it. And he was, he looked at me and he said, listen, man, my dad would have wanted us to have a good time tonight. And I was like ready to go into the <laughs> showing up with the therapy. Yeah, I was ready to get him on the couch. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, Chris, you gotta just, you gotta chill out, man. But I have a lot of friends that he knew that are alive. All right, <laughs> they're not all dead. Jesus. Oh <laughs> uh, man, the podcast got really, really sad. No, no, it's fascinating, man. It's fascinating. I mean, you, you, like, my intention was to have you on the show to just to talk about you, but a big part of you is your dad, yeah. and, and and that history. Well, the, the part of it that was the biggest thing for me to be me, quite frankly, is like I was, um, is is to be able to talk about him. Yeah. You know, it, it's like I, it, I, I, people are interested. They want to know he was a huge, successful, talented gift, you know, and, and why wouldn't you? I mean, with all his John Hughes stuff, I mean, he was a 
growing up for me, he was like an uncle. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, like uncle buck. Fuck. That movie was such a great film for me. And like, you know, so yeah, he, what, that he, passing was tough on everybody, you know? Yeah. He, he, um, he, he was like, just, he really was like, as my mom put it, he was like here and then he was gone. He was just like this, this, this life force that was here. And so I get it now when I was younger, I had didn't get it, you know? And, yeah. um, but now I understand it. And I think that like the, the, what complicated it for me as a kid, um, was like, there was the beginning of the Kardashian era celebrity. Mm -hmm. And I was close to that world because they ended up like Chloe was in my grade school. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, um, I did, you know, we're, we were friends then, but I had no connection with them anymore, but I just saw their growth and, and their success and whatever you want to call it. And like, I was not into it, you know? And it was, I, I remember like the early, see, like, I think the early reintroduction into like my relationship with my father was like a friend reaching out going like, Hey, do you want to be on a show called celebrity kid dude ranch? Ugh. You know, it was like that. Ugh. And there was that era of television that was like, um, lean into your, um, you know, your relationship, your quote unquote celebrity, mm -hmm. which it's not, but like, you know, there is this kind of world out there and there even was, there's like a dance show that's coming out and they wanted to, they, they reached out to me multiple times to do it. And I was just, no, <laughs> yeah. but, but some people have look all power to people who want to do that stuff. They, they look at it in a more lighthearted way and whatever, all the power to them. Super cool. It's not my bag. And, um, and I'm really not knocking it, but that was what was around. And it was, it was a big turnoff. And that's what kept me from wanting to talk about him, know about him, know who he really was do. And, and then it really, it was getting in the way again of like me knowing who I am. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, once I was able to get past that, then I was like, okay. Like, and, and again, that's another thing I think that ties back into like the things you can do that might be like keeping you down. Mm -hmm. That was a big one for me because I realized like everybody wants to talk about them. Sure. You know, and why wouldn't they? So let's talk about them. Yeah. And then it, 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 it took the power away and the nerves away from me being like, God, I hope no one brings them up. I don't want to talk. Like that was the inner monologue to, you know, okay, cool. Yeah. Like even the audition as in today, the guy finishes, it, he goes, you by any chance related to John Candy, a younger me would have been like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. He was, yeah, he was, yes, my dad, <laughs> as opposed to like, okay, uh, weirdo, uh, you know, but as opposed to being like, yeah, like he was man, I loved him. I miss him, miss him to this day. And so, um, that was the difference for me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great, man. Cause then it just feels a lot more healthy, right? feels like you're, yeah, it's, 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 it, it is. And, and, and it, and it's less stress on me, you know? Yeah. We, it just is, you know, I think again, it's part of the reality. There are some people who lean into their, 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 it, it doesn't even need to be an acting business, but people lean into their family identity too much. We could say, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then there's some people who walk fully away from their family identity and there's some people that kind of balance it. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, dude, like when, um, it didn't even occur to me when we met. And then I've seen your work. I've seen you. Because I, I went to one of the shows that you were doing. I went to an improv show one night. Yeah. And I was at like 
Where the fuck was it? I think it was over in uh, Atwater or whatever. It was oh like yeah, underneath. yeah. It was at the. Um, it was. Uh, that was when I think of the. I think that was the last improv show I ever did. Really. Uh, it was at the wine bar that yes. was downstairs of the pizzeria or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We go wild here in LA, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was underneath a trash can. You put it back. You go inside, crawl under a gutter, and there's a comedy show going on. But you're great in that. And then the shorts that you guys have done, um, the what is it, the Chowchella short? Yeah, Chowchella was. Um, that was a. That's a good example of just like me getting everyone that I knew creatively together to work on a, on a project that was, I knew to be like, promising. You wrote that, right? Yeah. I wrote it with my friend Garen and, um, that was born out of like the two of us had this other show called where's this party. That was like a hyper comedy, uh, improv show. We were wearing wigs and a lot of makeup and did okay, but we wanted to do something where we weren't in wigs and that we could like debut ourselves mm-hmm. more so. And so this was like, more of like a dark comedy kind of feels like an episode of Fargo. Maybe it's great. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, Garen, uh, had access to this beautiful farm up in Chowchilla. The location was amazing. Yeah. So we, we had, and so we just rode around the location actually, which was interesting because, um, we just knew it was going to take place on a farm. And so Mm -hmm. that was really where that came out of. And then creatively it's like, okay, we did that. And then that went to some film festivals. And then I did, to the stones with Rick over there, which is one of my favorite ones mm-hmm. where, and then from there, Rick and I just kept a working relationship and Garen and I too. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, just, you know, that, and that, that's a great example of like, got a lot of off time, you know, what am I going to do? Just make something. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. it was funny though. I joke about the pandemic because like, I was getting busier before 2020 hit. Like I was working, I I'd booked a couple commercials and I, I had started to work up in Canada more and, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, like you're doing it. You know, I, I didn't have a day job anymore. I was like, okay, I, I you know, kind of started feeling good. And then I was saying to myself, I said, okay, you can kind of start saying uh, no to some projects (laughs) and I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I'm talking about like when you are working in comedy in this town, a lot of friends have a lot of sketches they want to do and they're really great. But like you just, there's a lot, there can be a lot. There were a lot. And I just said, I'm going to maybe just say, I can't make that one. Sure. I can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Cut to the pandemic. The pandemic. I start saying (laughs) fucking yes to everything. (laughs) Oh yeah, sure. Zoom TV show. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, sure. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Prove a concept. No problem. (laughs) You're going to film it on Zoom? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was like, yes, 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 yes. But it was cool. I got to do some fun music videos. um, And um, (laughs) I did, uh, my friend Justin Hopkins, he's a really great director. And and, um, I worked two projects with him. And like, you know, you say, and again, that like speaks to my arrogance, the power of yes, because like those, that got me into South by Southwest for the first time. That's awesome. You know, with a a music video that him and this guy, Simon Kesh directed and, um, this group makeup and vanity set. And then, uh, did a, another project for, um, oh God, the, the record is called Isla Mania. And, um, I think Islands is the band. Yeah. Islands. Canadian band got mm-hmm. to do a fun video for them and uh, yeah so you know just yes 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 and then I started booking the payday jobs so smart 
So you did a bunch of music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I was... Uh, Can we talk in... about uh, Typo Negative? <laughs> we can talk about Typo Negative if you want. I love them. They're great. I never, never... Got to, I never got to work with them. But they're a Roadrunner band? Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of stuff for Roadrunner, yeah. Um, but they, I never got to... Because he died... When did he die? Peter Steele died... In the early 2000s, maybe? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Yeah, I'm a late fan. Like, I got into them maybe six years ago. Oh, man. That fucking record. World Coming Down. This is what's really funny. This album uh, and the Nine Inch Nails. Oh, not Spiral, but uh, there's a Nine Inch Nails album that they both released on the same day. And uh, I just saw someone posted on Instagram about it. They're like, 22 years ago. (laughs) <laughs> like this released from the Nine Inch Nails and I went holy shit because 22 years ago I had transplanted myself to New York City to go to film school yeah. didn't know anybody was staying in this tiny little fucking place hadn't started class yet and I went down to what was the record store oh god it was a big one went down to the record store in Union Square and Typo Negative was there whoa and they were there signing albums and I had I worked in a music store prior to that as a kid in high school. So I, I found Typo Negative when they did the Bloody Kisses album because it was on... I used to work for Strawberries back on the East Coast. And they would give you these cassette tapes that you had to fucking play every month. And you had like five <laughs> cassette tapes that were on like this rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was the dark cassette tape that no one ever wanted you to play. And it had like Typo on it. I learned about Ministry because of that. There was a bunch of these different bands. Yeah. And, and so I fell in love with Typo. I saw them a couple times. And then uh, went to this fucking signing. And the dudes were huge. Yeah, they're big guys, right? Huge. It was like seven foot. And like the, like big and like big fucking like chest yeah. bones. And yeah. like, you know, and he, that was right after he had done the Playgirl spread. What did he pass of? I think it was, um, I think it was alcohol related. I think right. he had a heart attack. Yes, that is what it was. Yeah. 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 And, and he was, uh. Dude, he was driving a fucking taxi cab in Brooklyn still. Really? Yeah. That's tight. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. He was like, dude, they would they would do their shit, and then he would go back to driving taxi cabs. And I heard, um, because my old business partner was in a band, so I knew all these guys, um, I heard that every show on his, you know, uh, what do they call that, rider, he would have two full bottles of red wine on the stage and he would go through two full bottles of red wine. God damn. Drink every night before he fucking played. God damn. Yeah. Peter Steele. And those of you listening, you know, I'm obsessed with typo negative. We've talked about it before. Um, but, uh, yeah, this album fucking changed everything. World coming down was the one he wrote because his father died. Yeah. And they never played. Maybe they played it on tour once or twice, but they never played it on tour because he, he couldn't do it. The band on Roadrunner I loved was Glassjaw. Uh-huh. And um, I, I worked, one of my first jobs was working on the uh, Vans Warped Tour. Yep. And I worked for the Plea for Peace Foundation, which is my friend Mike Park's nonprofit. And that was the hard, that to, you know, there's a whole other world of music stuff I didn't talk about, but that was the hardest job I've ever done to date. Traveled around the country and in a 15 passenger van for the van's warp tour which is a bus tour which means like your night drives are like over eight hours and so i'd get you know me and this other girl and this guy would drive around and you know and and i was a big fan of ska music didn't get into really metal or hardcore 
And then I found that the bands that stood out the most were the hardcore bands on mm-hmm. the tour. And, um, it makes and that, sense because of the rhythm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and so I really got in Glassjaw. I, I met those guys. Um, and then like I became like Uber fan. Um, I was like super young. But they're, they were on Roadrunner. They had one record with them. And then, um, yeah, they're still so fucking good. Yeah. They're one of those bands I'll still like, um, just like YouTube them to see what like the, the most recent live show sounds like. And it's <laughs> always so fucking good. Um, yeah. And, and then, um, I'm trying to remember it was, um, oh, they, and then, yeah, Roadrunner had this record that was like Roadrunner United. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked that record mm-hmm. because it was like, they got like the super groups together. And I thought that was such a cool concept mm-hmm. that turned me onto a lot of their, their bands and stuff. They're great, man. Um, yeah, I was but very they, fortunate. They had a hard time though with some of their bands, right? Like payment wise. Is, did, yeah. A lot of those companies were kind of creepy and crazy about yeah, stuff. Yeah. I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. And then they ended up getting gobbled up by, I think they were on Warner. I think gobbled them. That by. makes sense. Yeah. Cause I think Glassjaw then went to Warner when I was, yes. I just remember that in my, my memory. And then, you know, I knew some of the dudes over there because we were really working with them hard when we were doing like kill switch engage stuff. Oh yeah. All like that metal core. Sure. Uh, we were very much in with those guys. And I remember hearing that uh roadrunner used to have like two floors of employees and they just fucking like demolished it down to five by the oh. time that we were working with them. And so it was pretty interesting. Um, weird world, man. It was a, I never listened to hardcore era. I used to listen to metal when I was a kid, but I got into that scene because my old business partner was in Blood for Blood. And so he was like, all right, cool. Let's let's do music videos for this scene. And so that's how I met like uh, Agnostic Front and Sick of It All. and All like, those bands. All those guys. And they're fascinating dudes because they come from a period of time in their lives where they were making music when they're super young, you know, like teens, mm-hmm. like very, very young. And now they're in their you know fifties and sixties, and they're still having to tour, and like still have that same kind of energy that they had when they were young. And you're just like, well, how the fuck do you guys do it? They, yeah, to be in a band like like a like a definitely even like a like a hardcore or like a metal band, like you have to be in such crazy shape. Yeah. Um. Or or at least like can your hand strength is so good because like. Those things are, those legs are not easy to play. Dude, I spent, I, I may have said it on the show, but I, I spent a night, I spent a day and a night with BB King. Wow. And uh, I was doing wow. uh, a doc, for years I was doing uh, docs for Harvard. So mm-hmm, Harvard's mm-hmm, alumni mm-hmm. department would hire me to come in and, and do stuff. And um, they had a music course that was based around BB King. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so they sent me out. And so... Uh, I went and I hung with him and I remember he, I beat him. He was very old and he's like, oh, my Harvard boy's here. And I'm like, I didn't go to fucking Harvard. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, and uh, hung out with him and it, it was fascinating. He was still in a wheelchair. And what they would do is uh, before the show, he'd have to go get shots of cortisone in his hands because his hands oh, were in man. such rough shapes. And yeah. they would hit him with the, the cortisone shots and then he, they would wheel him to the curtain Mm-hmm. And he would pull himself out of the wheelchair and walk out to a yeah. stool and sit there and play. And he's still like fucking captivated every money. I saw Don Rickles right before he passed away. Oh, wow. And um, it was the day that Trump, like, I think it was the day of the Women's March. <laughs> okay. It was a weird day because I went to the march. And then um, 
I went to like Beverly Hills to watch Don Rickles and it was like <laughs> this crazy day of like two different <laughs> ends of the generation. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the age gap was, it was so wild, but Rickles was so old. It was like right towards he passed and they, he just, he came out and sat down and like, it was still there, you know, the same thing. Like he still had the, um, the energy and the wit. It was kind of muffled, you know, with age, but mm-hmm. he still could like, he was cracking jokes left and right. And it's like, it's like they do it all the way till they're done. It's crazy. I mean, he fucking bb king toured 300 days a year like he was known for like you know having multiple like families everywhere and all that kind of thing but he was also like really i didn't i didn't know that about oh yeah so he but he also um was just like this constant professional and he he was telling us stories on the bus about uh having to do it during slavery and during the end of slavery and like having go to the south and like having like bodyguards with them that would go in and like demand the money up front and beat people up for money because he wasn't getting the cash. And oh God. Insanity. Like fucking, Oh God. Like that history of, of all that stuff. And then just seeing him at that age, it was one of the few shows that I had been in the green room and the green room was full of more famous people than any green room that I've ever been in. Oh yeah. That were just waiting. He would come in and, and you're in there and it's all like these, uh, you know, buddy, like buddy guy, like all sure. of these big famous uh, blues and rock stars that are in there with like albums. Yeah. And he just comes in and he's like, nice to meet you and signing all their albums and shit. Isn't that a cool experience when you're in those rooms and then you can see the, the fan of the person that yeah. has fans be yeah. a fan. Yeah. That's, that's, I've, I've, I've had that happen a handful, not many, but I've seen it and it's cool Yeah, because it lets you know everyone's human. <laughs> uh, dude, we, we saw it with, uh, with Meshuga. So we did videos for Meshuga and Meshuga's known for, uh, their drummer and their drummer is just like this amazing like, yeah. octopus that has this time state. And I was, uh, side stage and I'm standing there watching him do his bit and I just turn and it's like the drummer from ministry, you know, fear factory, like all these different guys and they're just watching him and they're just trying to understand how this guy does it. We had, and Chodo ghetto, this drummer named Jody Giacello and we would play and he's so fucking good. He, he plays for like big bands like Haim and all kinds of things. And he just is like such a nice dude. And like when we would play, like we were good, but he would fucking like just like captivate people everyone would always be like who was your drummer <laughs> yeah. like because it, it really like having the drummer really really helps it really it shifts the whole flow of a lot of bands sure not only does he hold time and not only is he like the person that's sort of keeping it all together but then to be able to have flair and to be able to do it in a different yeah. way yeah definitely you know it's fucking fascinating i just went and saw um my buddy uh, Jonathan from Big Black Delta, one of my favorite bands right uh-huh, now, uh-huh. and uh, he just performed what last week, um, and he had a I, I don't know her name, but he had like this drummer, and she was this tiny, she's this tiny woman, super skinny, and yeah. she gets behind that drum set, and right? Just, bah, 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 and you're just like, yeah. I, like it's like put the light on her. She's incredibly fascinating. I love watching drummers play a, ba- a blast beat. It's like, <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> 
and then you roll, roll. <laughs> and the double pedals, and you're just like, how are you doing this yeah. with your body? It's well, if they can keep that time, if they, if you can keep a blast beat time, that that's a hard one. That because uh, yeah, it, it, the, talk about strength. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's such as like a fun world. I like I, I just love metal. It's it's really, really kind of fun. Really, I got into the um. Uh, the new Every Time I Die songs. Oh, I haven't listened to them. Oh, they're just so fucking angry <laughs> and like pissed off. And like, I just, I fucking like, you know, it's like I, when you're one of those types of bands, you want to get creative all the time, but it's almost like at the same time, like your fans really just want you to do what you did really well on that first record. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really tight when like it, it i understand why bands obviously go and do the other records but it's so tight when they like go yeah you fucking want the fucking breakdown okay here don't 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 like they just fucking give it to you it's like it's just like uh like my body just like fucking melts i'm like oh, thank you <laughs> yeah because there's a lot of bands that you want that from and uh, like metallica comes to mind right 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 right, right. So you go back and you listen to the originals and Master and Ride the Lightning and all that stuff. And then later on, after like all the success, after like the multiple rounds of Range Rovers and like driving their kids to school at like Beverly Hills or wherever the fuck they go, it's like you just don't have that rage in you. And you want them, you just want to hear that again. And they always tease it. What was the last album that just came out? I can't remember. And I tried listening to it the other day and I'm like, well, yeah, it's like it's no one really wants the Metallica Lady Gaga like hybrid, and they did it. You know what I mean? Like no one wants it, but the the industry is is like, in my opinion, is like cool. Like let's put them together. Yeah. And legacy, legacy. Like yeah, yeah. Let's let's hybrid that, and no one no one really asks for it. <laughs> and so it's like what you want though is like you want like Metallica to do a record with like. Um, you know, what I would love is like, I would love for some of these bands to step back and like do a record with like someone who is new on the scene. Who's just like putting out like amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's, I would, I like it when bands strip, strip it down more, you know, yeah. and I would love to hear Metallica just do like a fucking rad punk rock record where it's like they're plugged in and then like the vocals get patched later and it's all live and it's just like that's the record yeah that would be dope i'd love a live recording of two stages metallica and finally megadeth just yelling yeah. at each other just <laughs> yelling at each other go fuck yourself and it's like yeah, 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 yeah. that's the show that you want it's like the, i hate everything about you still and it's like get over it you know it's just screaming at totally each other. yeah i uh, i'm a big faith no more fan i love faith no more and they actually just had to cancel their dates i saw and um and and uh, then and and they have a thing with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Those two, I don't oh, know. I, know I don't that. know if they don't get along, but like they always like. Are they always, like always beefing each other? Or at least Red, or Faith No More is always talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't speak on it anymore. But I just, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, like I was gonna try to get Tool tickets because I guess Tool's going on sale right now for January, and I've never seen. There's a handful of. I've been very spoiled working in. Uh, music business so i've been able to go see shows for free and there's like a handful of shows that i never got to see tool nine inch nails 
and um, what was the other one? Oh, I'd I'd still go see like a, I'd still go see like a white zombie show if he they would never get back together. But if they got back together, oh yeah, that, that would be pretty. Yeah, definitely. I I just I'm trying to think of like. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a show that I w- I would go see Faith No More if they were playing if they if they were doing it. Uh-huh. Um, I would definitely go because I I just they 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 are it for me when it comes to metal. They they're just like really everything I like about it. Like mm-hmm. they're the band like. Um, my friend Chris and I would go see them, and like they wouldn't have like a conventional opener. They would have like a mariachi band play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or they would have a stand-up comic or a magician like. They would really give you like a show, and I loved that about them because then they they come on and like they have the rhythmic element, they have the like you know the whole Patton thing is just fucking awesome. Oh, he's amazing, and, and all his side projects and everything. And and he's funny because like he like is so influential in that um, Angel Dust. That record is so like it basically like when you listen to Angel Dust, you basically hear the like hardcore sound that everyone is doing and they're the first band to also kind of just be like you don't need to scream the entire time and they kind of are the reason you have like like melodic stuff over over songs because like you listen to those songs and you just hear all the bands um one Mm -hmm. of my favorite videos that i watch is um (laughs) it's what which what is are they pod i think it's pod pod (laughs) Or no, Papa Roach is Papa Roach. Okay, Papa okay. Roach has cut my life into pieces. <laughs> um, they have a video. You can find it on YouTube. And it's them covering uh, Faith No More's song, Gentle Art of Making Enemies, which is a fucking amazing song. And if you listen to that song, it sounds like a the intro sounds like the Deftone sound, in my opinion. Uh-huh. So you see them. The singer's so corny, so nervous. And he's like talking. He's like, <laughs> he's like I just want everybody like... We got this song, and I want to say this goes out to Billy from Faith No More. He's on the side of the stage. This song's for you, Billy. And <laughs> he's such a nerd. Like he's so fanboyed out. He's so excited. And they started and they mess it up in the beginning. <laughs> oh no! And it's like, and he's like, oh my god, he's so nerdy. <laughs> like, and it's like one of those songs that's like really revs up. You're like, it's like. You when you hear the intro, you're like, "Fuck yeah, here we go!" And they fuck up the the fucking moment. <laughs> and I'm like these poor dudes, <laughs> fuck with him on stage. <laughs> yeah, and he's supposedly like uh, an incredibly nice guy from what I've heard. So he he's just on stage like thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. Don't yeah, play. Yeah, it. yeah. Don't play. <laughs> Whatever you do. Ah uh, man, this has been great. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, man. We've gone all over the place, and I think it's really great, man. And uh, we'll have to have you back on, and we'll we'll talk. More. Yeah, definitely. Uh, have to have you call in to bumper to bumper. We we are active and ready to go. Yeah, I'll bump it around with you guys. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right, thanks for being on the show, my man. Thanks for having me. What an intense track to come out of that interview with. <laughs> well, there it is, guys. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I had a blast hanging out with Chris, and uh, uh, I can't believe everything we got to talk about. It was a pretty, 
pretty wide gamut of, of uh, topics on this one. What did you guys think? Um, I always find it inspiring to talk with other people, to see how they're surviving this industry, to see how they're staying sane, because uh, you just don't realize how much of a toll it takes um, chasing your dreams, right? You don't realize how much of a toll it takes like changing your life, deciding to go off the beaten path, deciding to, to, to go down this path that doesn't have a set rules, doesn't have a set of rules, doesn't, doesn't have a playbook, right? You don't know like, hey, if I do this and this and that, then I'm gonna get where I need to go. You just don't fucking know. Um, and I thought a lot of the stuff that Chris was talking about on making sure that you're spending that time on your personal life, making sure that you're spending that time uh, being healthy to yourself. That's good advice. It's advice that I often forget and you get so lost in what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're making um, that uh, we lose sight of that because these things become so, they become larger than life. They become the most important thing. I've been working so long for this fucking thing. I'm finally here and I'm finally gonna do this. I'm finally, it's my turn, it's my chance. And you just forget how it's affecting your life, how it's affecting the lives of the people around you. And uh, every once in a while, it's just good to be able to step back and see that. And I think that goes for the industry as a whole. You know, and we're seeing, unfortunately, we're seeing the industry being forced into it. You know, as humans, oftentimes we need to have that sort of forced open expose for this stuff. And I'm talking about the strikes, I'm talking about all that. But the reality is, is that we're not saving lives, right? There isn't someone on a table with their chest open and we're trying to restart the heart, you know? I don't have a cooler that I'm trying to transplant an organ halfway th across the country uh, to put into a child, you know? We're just making movies. We're making content, we're writing songs. We're making entertainment and I'm not going to cheapen it. And I know it's the most important thing in my life. It's the most important thing in all of your lives. But you got to remember that it's also about breathing. It's also about your personal relationships. It's also about being healthy. Um, and I think I'm kind of saying this because I'm wearing a set of headphones. And I can hear my voice. I'm saying this to myself uh, as much as I'm saying it to you. Um, so thanks, Chris. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, thanks for telling us stories about your dad. Thanks for uh, telling us great stories about John Hughes. Man, wish I knew that guy, right? How much he loved music, his stories, what he could write. His movies have changed my life. They've influenced my life. So fucking lucky to have his stuff still around and to have, you know, John Candy stuff around you know, and to, to know Chris. And like I said, all the links for his work will be, uh, there'll be some listed below in the description, but they're going to be at inlovewiththeprocess.com on the page for today's episode. I'll put up the links for his shorts. I'll put up all that stuff and you'll see, it's great seeing him on screen and he's definitely his own person. He's definitely, uh, his own personality, but, uh, it's just nice to see uh, another candy on screen. Let's be real, right? It's nice to see it. Um, so definitely check it all out. And uh, that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following on, on Instagram. And please leave a review 
I know every show you listen to asks you to do this and I don't get it. I don't get it. Whenever someone asks me to do it, I try to do it immediately because I know you're just listening on your phone. I know you're working out or in your car. Just scroll down to the bottom if you're on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Star the show. Tell me it's a tell me I'm a one-star man. <laughs> and then let me know what you think. Leave me some questions there. I'm I'm reading. I'll be reading and responding. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. And I'm gonna leave you. I think this is a Krill Madness. Let's leave you with some uh, intense track from Krill Madness. What do you think? See you next Tuesday. Thank you.